Welcome to another Front End Happy Hour podcast. In this episode, we are joined by Emma to talk with us about interviewing. Uh, well, specifically more like the coding interview. She's the perfect person to speak with us about the topic because she's recently written a book called The Decoding the Technical Interview Process. Emma, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Yeah, definitely. So hi, I'm Emma Boston. I am an American software engineer living and working in Germany. I currently work at LogMeIn as a software engineer, kind of leading the design system. But in about a month, I'm going to be joining Spotify over in Stockholm as a software engineer working on basically the whole entire consumer experience. So that's really exciting. Um, my beverage of choice, okay, well, normally if I were going out, I would either have like a margarita or a Moscow mule, but I'm not that fancy at home. And for me, an expensive drink is four euro or more. <laughs> so I have a very nice two euro bottle of wine. Right on, <laughs> nice. Can't, you can't go wrong, and you need a good stock of that when you're when we're all stuck in quarantine yeah. like this. You kind of need something on hand, so Absolutely. that's good. But the other cocktail choices are, are very good as well. And, and congrats on uh, Spotify. So we Thank expect you. to see some good some good features once you're started. Are we getting new <sighs> things? Hopefully. If you send me all of your bug requests, I will block you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a quick way to get blocked on Twitter by Emma. <laughs> All right. Well, let's also give introduction of today's panelists. Stacy, you want to start? Sure. I'm Stacy London. I'm a senior front end engineer at Atlassian. I'm Ryan Aklum. I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And what did we decide today's keyword is? Whiteboard. Whiteboarding. Whiteboarding. Yeah. So if we say whiteboard, whiteboarding, anything around that, which always comes up when you're talking about the coding interview, we will all take a drink. Well, let's dive in. I thought a really great thing to kick our uh, podcast off was just getting everyone's thoughts on how they actually feel about the technical interview. Like, how do you feel about it? There's good and bad. So I'd love to hear each of your thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. So I finally feel like for the first time in my career, when I think about the technical interview process, I don't have major anxiety attacks. But it's solely for the fact that I've been studying this for five years straight, I feel like, because I've been switching jobs every every year which is ridiculous when you're starting out i don't recommend doing that i had reasons like for the first you know i wanted to move to europe and i couldn't take my job so of course i had to look for something new and then i wanted to move to uh stockholm so i found a new job there but i think for me the past five years the majority of times when i would think of the interview process it would be anxiety um but slowly it's turning into confidence which is good yeah i would i would say with time i would echo that it's, it is always a little bit nerve wracking. It always requires a little bit of prep or studying before the technical interview. Cause a lot of times what you're asked to, to demonstrate is usually along data structures or algorithms, which they, they come up, but not often on your typical front end role. That's not your day to day that you're practicing. So I find like, that's always been one where I'm like, oh, Got to pull up the old CS book and figure this out again and just like as a refresher. But it's weirdly enough, I have not done a technical interview other than given technical interviews for people interviewing at Netflix. I haven't done one for a while now, so I feel like I'd be really rusty. It's been I've been at Netflix for over five years, so it's, it's going to be a little weird if I go interview again. Yeah, I, I would say that I still get a pretty massive anxiety about them. I... Um, especially the if, we, if there's any part of it where it's like live coding, that really just puts me in a in a strange brain space, and I and I, it's really hard for me to to not only start to think about how to solve the problem, but also talk through it. Which like you know when I'm coding during my normal day job, I'm not like <laughs> speaking out loud and explaining what I'm doing while I'm doing it. So it's not, it's sort of a weird thing that. A lot of the technical interview I find are, are you're being asked to do stuff that is not how you normally work or normally do much of your day job. And so it's like a skill in and of itself. And that 
it, that disconnect seems strange to me. And I think we can do a lot better with how we figure out how to assess people to make it more realistic to like what you're, what you do normally versus what you're, you're being asked to yeah, prove. I agree. And I think it's so random as in like, if the person's interviewing you is having a bad day or a good day, you can totally change the outcome of your interview, right? It's not how good you are. It's how good the person that's interviewing is feeling at that particular day. Well, one thing I really enjoyed about Spotify was, so I went through Google and Spotify's um, tracks at the same time, and Spotify had two interviewers with you, which I really liked because they weren't allowed to talk about it. So you're kind of alleviating this unconscious bias they may or may not have. Um, but additionally, they did allow me to ask questions that required an API and they would look it up for me and, and tell me like the right API to use or whatnot. Um, because I think a lot of my anxiety would come from not remembering um, like the right um, function call, like array, yep. array, array method, like splice versus slice. And in my Spotify interview, they let me like look those things up and it was more of a conversation than a test. I like that too. It's, it sounded a lot more collaborative, but also we all Google those APIs over and over again. I, I know we all do it. Why well, remember that? It's, it's really quick to just Google that. If you're not using the API day in, day out, you're just, why remember it? So I think that should be uh, allowed in one of the technical interviews because you are doing that on your day-to-day -day role. I don't think you should be judged like, oh, you don't remember the Splice API? Ah, not a good engineer. Like, that's, this is not good. <laughs> I start every interview by letting them know that they can Google anything they want because there's no way I do my job without Googling things. So, and, and I also try to let everyone know that I'm an ally. Like I'm here to help you. I want you to succeed. I'm not here to judge you or laugh at you or, you know, I, I'm, I'm rooting for you actually. I'm trying to be your, your help. Well, even knowing how to Google things is a skill in and of itself. So I think it's nice to see how they do that. But it was interesting because between Google and Spotify, they both had data structures and algorithms interviews. Um, which for, for a front end engineer is interesting. Um, the Google side of things was very computer science heavy. Um, it was a lot of hardcore data structures. Like I was asked to like find a broken edge in a binary tree or something of that sort. It was a while ago. I don't remember, but it wasn't necessarily applicable to my day job versus at Spotify. It was about like the DOM. If you think about it, the DOM is a tree that in and of itself is a data structure that you would learn in computer science and yep. we kind of forget. So the fact that they tested me on practical knowledge about DOM traversal was so much better suited to like, I just enjoyed the whole process with them. That's awesome. And I, I, it sounded like it was exactly what you said is more practical. And that's something that I've always thought about interviews on our team is I want to see us asking questions that would almost be coming up in a a day-to-day -day job where you're like, maybe you're building out a feature or a component. Maybe it's like build out autocomplete for search or something like that. And it could just be as simple as asking someone that and just seeing how they think through it. What are the follow-up questions that they're asking too? Because mm. uh, I think that's important is like anytime that you're working on the job, no one gives you, no one spells out exactly what you need to go build to a T. You have to ask a lot of follow-up questions of how, trying to understand, you know, how many titles am I searching? Like, am I debouncing? Am I like thinking about all the edge cases while you're going and sometimes asking? I think that's a good way to build more of a collaborative feel with the person interviewing you as well. I liked what, uh, what you said, um, Emma, about the interview at um, Spotify being more realistic. I think that's what I really liked about Atlassian's interview compared to a lot of other places I had interviewed where the, the problem that I was coding to try and solve was really realistic. It was like, hey, make a tab UI interface and switch between the tabs and swap some content out. And you're like, yeah, that is a problem. That is something you do really mm -hmm. pretty frequently in the things that you build. And so it was, it was nice because you could show, um, you could exhibit, you could demonstrate what you actually have strengths in as opposed to solving some riddle or some, you know, uh, arcane thing that is maybe not going to come up very often. Did they make you use a whiteboard? I mean, whiteboard? What? Cheers. That seemed a little <laughs> bit planted, not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are thirsty. But um, one of the things that I'm noticing is that in the past several years, like when I first started interviewing back in 2015, 2014, 
they had a lot of questions that were very JavaScript heavy. And now what I'm realizing is they're shifting the questions to encompass HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And so we kind of seen, we're seeing this paradigm shift in the industry. Like um, at Google, I got um, my first coding challenge, the first phone screen covered all three of them. Um, you had to be really knowledgeable about like HSL and CSS and how different color values are applied and um, how to dynamically manipulate the DOM. And it was the same at Spotify. They actually gave me like a visual mock-up and said, hey, build this with HTML and CSS and then let's add some functionality. Um, but it was nice because like it, for me, HTML and CSS are my strong suits. I struggle with JavaScript, um, especially asynchronous programming. And, you know, we got through the challenge and they said, well, you finish this pretty quickly. Like we could ask you more, but honestly, I don't think we need to. And that to me was so refreshing. Like, okay, they're not just going to like waste both of our times if they know that I can do this challenge. Like, that was so so nice and they mm -hmm. like the whole time they just they talked to me like i was a person like we were just like i don't know if we're allowed to swear on this show but like shooting the shit essentially yes you are okay perfect <laughs> like like the interviewer she was just like swearing up a storm and i'm like i love this because i'm from new york and we do not have the cleanest mountains in the world so it made me feel like we were just co-workers already <laughs> I'm curious, like as we talked about some of the the pain points or or you know some of the experiences that we've had, what's the worst technical interview that you've all had to do, and why? Maybe you don't have to tell what company it is. Oh my gosh, the surprise technical interviews. Those are the best when you're least expecting it. Uh, I've had multiple instances. There's one company specifically. They're kind. They were a startup at the time, and they've grown. As a result, so essentially the SparkNotes edition is, I interviewed with this company in Australia, super cool company. He sprung a technical interview on me at 6 a.m. my time because we had a time difference and I was nice enough to be like, all right, I'll get up early. I'm not going to complain about it. And he started firing away these really intense like questions at me, like trivia questions. Like, can you define the difference between const and let? And I defined it, um, even though I was caught off guard. And he goes, well, actually, that's not correct. And I'm like, well, actually, it is correct. Uh, I'm not really sure what you're looking for. And so it just left a really bad taste in my mouth. And I, and I straight up told him, you know, it's 6 a.m. my time. I was not I was not expecting a technical interview. This is the initial phone recruiter call. Normally, you just have a call to see if you're even a good fit. And so it, it really bothered me. And then he reached back out. Well, actually, let me clarify this. The first, I went through an interview process with them a year before and had an amazing experience when they were a startup. They were really great. I interviewed with him a second time. It was the second time. It was a surprise interview. And because the company had grown, his ego had grown with it. And so he became a completely different person. Like he was like, you should want to work for us. And like, why should we hire you? And I'm like, why, why should I want to work for you? <laughs> and so like, it just, you know, to all the interviewers out there, if um, or other recruiters, if you do not treat your candidates with respect uh, and make it very clear, like what's going to happen in this process, they're not going to want to re-interview with you. Yep. Any sort of confrontationally, you know, any, where you get that sense of confrontation, that's awful. Like it doesn't feel like, oh, I, it doesn't make you want to work there because you're like, if this is the first impression, what's the rest of it going to be like? Um, yeah. I had my, one of the worst ones I ever did was a, uh, this was a long, it was a while back. This was kind of before we had better collaboration tools, but I was asked to um, code, a, write some code to sort a file, like sort names in a file and output it. And it was over the phone. And I started kind of pseudo coding, but um, the person on the other end was actually writing it in an editor and making sure that it compiled and worked correctly. And I was, he's like, you're missing a semicolon. And I was like, oh my gosh, we are on the phone. Like I, I am not even in an editor myself. I'm just trying to like express how I think generally it should work. And that was just really uncomfortable. And then um, I had looked this person up beforehand, um, and they had written a blog where they, it was a very ang angry blog about their how they are so frustrated by all the people that they interview, and they, I can't believe that you don't know how to do X, Y, and Z. So I read that blog, and I was like, okay, I'm interviewing with this person, I'm going to be prepared, I'm going to make sure I know all those things really well. And I studied, and he um, asked me that one, one of the questions from his blog, and I was able to answer it really quickly because I had prepared and studied beforehand. And he's like, you answered that too quickly. And I was like, <laughs> I, I, 
I'm not, I'm not cheating. Like I had to figure it out. And so it was just very confrontational and strange and it really put a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, I do not want to work here. Wow. I mean, good for you to do the research. (laughs) Yeah. My worst one was at a, a rather large company and it wasn't the interview itself, but it was, I came in after work and I believe it was 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night. And I walked in and it was buzzing. Like everyone was still there working hard. Like I'm not going to be one of those people that works till 7, 8 o'clock just because all my other coworkers are. So that one was over before it even started. Just I, I had such a bad feeling about that company. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that uh, can just throw things right off. Because you, you, you're looking at that at this year, you're like, yeah, something's off here. I think for a simple thing that I found, you know, we talked about the anxiety of the technical interview and and this was a specific phone screen. It was one of the larger companies in Silicon Valley. I can't to be to be honest, I'm not even trying to hide the company. I can't remember which one it was, but asked me to code in a Google Doc. So I'm on the phone Uh, you know, trying to hold the phone or put it on speakerphone. And I'm having to do a technical question over the phone in a Google Doc, which is really, really painful. And they're watching me because like, we're just sharing the Google Doc that way. And it wasn't pseudocoding. I don't think it was supposed to compile, but it was it was supposed to be as real as possible. And, you know, even just tabbing in a Google Doc can be awkward. And so it wasn't wasn't the worst question like I know I I did fine on it it was probably the simplest question if you were just doing it in an editor uh, on your own but having someone watch you in a google doc where you're just like this there's no syntax highlighting this feels really awkward I mean it was probably like six or seven years ago so I, I know we've gotten a little better with how technical interviews can be done on the phone. So I guess I can't fault them that it was a while ago, but it was still an awkward moment where I felt like I could have done a lot better on that. I still answered your question, but this felt a little weird. What do you all think of, like I mentioned, okay, so it brought up the phone screen and, you know, mentioned that as, you know, maybe being anxiety coding over the phone. What do you all think about doing the take-home exercises? Like, how do you feel about that? I know that's a big thing that companies use is, you know, go, go build this, send us back your code. I love them. I love them so much. But here's the, here's the thing I don't like is when companies pile on like this big take-home project with 12 other technical interviews, like pick one or the other or like find some medium um, I love the take home challenge personally because I don't do well under pressure. I never have. I've had a really good take home challenge with one of the big, big companies. Um, and they let me choose. There were two very different projects. They were well scoped. They, they, one was more asynchronous rest API stuff. The other was more UI design. And so for me, having that choice was so pivotal in my like ability to succeed there. Um, but I like those because you're in your own element. Like you can choose your tech stack. You can, if you're really good at documentation and communication, you get to showcase those uh, and you don't have to do it under pressure, which I love them. Yeah. I think for me, echo a lot of what you just said, Emma. I think those they're really great uh, for a lot of reasons where people do get anxiety, live coding on the spot or being put under pressure. But I remember one time being asked to spend a good I think the minimum was to spend eight hours on the technical on what I was building. And to be honest, I just I was interviewing with a bunch of companies and I it was one that I was like somewhat interested in, but I, I kind of I turned them down. I was just like, I just don't have the bandwidth to do this. Yeah. Um, it was just too much. There's a balance where you want to show off some of your skills in in a few hours, um, but they said like this will take. We want to see you spend a minimum of eight hours. It's not like hey, spend the maximum eight hours. It's like even setting this minimum. And so yeah, I just thought I stopped the interview there. That's absurd to me. Uh, I had the same kind of experience with a well-known food delivery service where they basically asked me to redo their entire application from scratch. Now here's my advice to companies who do these take-home challenges. If you are looking for very specific skills or technologies to be used, 
please just say it up front because me being a naive junior dev, I didn't know that they wanted me to use Reactor Vue. So I went ahead and did the whole thing vanilla JavaScript because I'm like, oh, it's framework agnostic, whatever. And then I spent 12 hours on this thing and come to find out they rejected me because I didn't use Reactor Vue. And I'm like, this is... Uh, like m some candidates don't know that you need to ask. Um, it shouldn't take more than a couple of hours. And one thing I encourage candidates to do with these types of projects is spend the amount of time that you can on it. And then maybe in your documentation, add a very succinct bullet point list of these are the things I would have enhanced or fixed if I had time, like extra time, because it shows you have the foresight to be able to do that, but you didn't spend a bunch of time. And as a last note, if you're a company asking for long ass projects, please pay your candidates because that's unpaid labor and that's unfair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I love to, I would have actually given you bonus marks, just the fact that you did it in vanilla JavaScript, any of the exercise we've, we've given take home exercises, um, at Netflix. I don't I try and keep it to a minimum of like four to six hours, which I even still hate asking someone to spend that much time on. And there again, what you said, Emma, is like add the bullet points of like, what would you add on with more time? Because uh, everything does require trade-offs. What we ask them is, you know, what framework, what, you know, it doesn't matter. Like use what you are comfortable with. Um, and to be honest, I prefer someone demonstrating that they know vanilla JavaScript than relying on Vue or React or Angular. Before I started at Netflix, I interviewed with Envision and they actually paid you to do the take home. And that was, yeah. that absolutely blew my mind. And that was left such a so great did Gatsby. feeling. Yeah, they, uh, Gatsby had a really uh, great process where they actually let you pretend to do the job that you would be doing. Like I was interviewing for like open source maintainers. So they were like, here's a fake like pull request someone open. Like, can you gently like write, write a response back to be like, oh, sorry, we're not going to merge this at this time. Like, what's your response to that? Or um, can you do this? But they paid you for it. And I thought that was really cool. Um, really quick before I forget, here's another tip I just want to mention is alongside with the, these are the things I would have improved if I had time. Um, if you make explicit trade-offs, and you understand the implications of those, be explicit about that. So for example, if you want to focus more on, I don't know, some kind of functionality, let's say you're building like a timer application and you want to focus on um, maybe an additional feature. Maybe you want there to be a sound that goes off when the timer finishes. Um, but you don't want to spend a ton of time building out a custom UI for a timer um, and you decide to use a UI framework like a material UI or carbon design at the expense of the performance, just just say that. There's nothing wrong with using a UI framework. Um, just be honest and be like, yeah, like, you know, again, like I understand this has implications on my performance bundle, especially because I'm not using a ton from the library. But if I had had more time, I would have gone and done it from scratch. Um, and one other tip, I get very passionate about this in case you couldn't tell. Um, one other tip is run your application through an accessibility tool and include like the lighthouse screenshot or the axe screenshot in your deliverables and people will love that. Ooh, that's a great tip. I love it. I would be happy seeing that. <laughs> I think I, I think maybe Emma you mentioned like yeah, pay people. I, there's there's it's this like delicate balance because there's it, it can be really exclusionary to only offer the take home for reasons y'all kind of mentioned where like you may not have time or what if you're a, a you know, a single parent and you have like zero time because mm -hmm. you're you know trying to raise a kid there's there's so much stuff there that like can make it where you're gonna only see a certain kind of candidate mm -hmm. because of how you're choosing to do your interview process so I think offering choices is really nice yeah I love that I like that too is the choices we've been talking a lot about the the technical interview which makes sense Emma you've <laughs> totally written a book on it but I am curious like when you've all been interviewing at companies or you know just we all talk about this uh these types of things do you feel that companies are spending too much emphasis on on technical skills versus on cultural or yeah culture is probably the best way to put it yes <laughs> simple yes <laughs> I think it depends. Yes and no. It depends on the company because I've had some where they're yeah. very much focused. Like there, I was going to interview with Amazon Web Services and I don't know why I decided to say it out loud. I feel like I could have just said AWS and people would have known what I was talking about. But anyway, um, the role was kind of, I think it was more developer advocacy, but there was literally like one pretty basic technical interview and the rest were just talking about like your experience working on a diverse team or how you communicate. Like those are really 
important skills. Like I've been on teams where people don't know how to communicate and it's super frustrating. Um, I know. So my dad is a senior architect at IBM and he used to be responsible for hiring. And he would always say, I would rather hire someone who does not have the strongest technical skills, but knows how to learn and has the work ethic than someone who is a know-it-all and not a team player. And it's so true. That's what we should be hiring for. But yeah, to your point, uh, Stacy, a lot of companies have too much emphasis on these technical skills. And I can't remember shit during these interviews. Like I can't memorize APIs or whatever. So it's difficult. A lot of these companies definitely hyper optimized for, yeah, the technical stuff. Um, and they're like, oh, well, we have, you know, we do the, you know, culture fit values interview. Like there's one person that does that. And, but the, the thing is, is like I, as a technical interviewer, I want to know that this person is going to be a good teammate and that they're friendly and kind and humble and that stuff. Like I almost rarely get to tease out because I'm executing an interview by just under asking technical questions. And so I think it's nice for everybody in the interview process to be able to, to, you know, ask not just technical questions. One of the questions I got once, I think I was interviewing for my current role at log and I was interviewing with the hiring manager and he, he goes, so how do you, how do you stay up to date on stuff in the industry? And I thought that was a really great question because there's no right answer other than like, you know, I read things occasionally or like, I, you know, unless you never look at the news or whatever. But um, like for me, that was like, oh, like I can show that I read books. Um, I can talk about the blogs and the podcasts I listen to. And it shows that you're a lifelong learner. Um, that to me is more important. Um, I think he also might have asked me, like, how would you explain difficult concept to your coworker? Like if they just were not getting it or like, what would you do in this situation? Um, that's more important than can you explain a promise? <laughs> I love that question. I've, that's something I've definitely asked candidates in the in the past is like, how do they stay up to date? Because I think a lot of it, it also, you can, you start to connect on a human level too, because you're learning something about that person too. Like Emma, you mentioned like, maybe it's reading books or you're like, I really love listening to podcasts. Hey, I'm actually on a podcast, which for those of you who don't know, Emma's on a podcast called Ladybug um, podcast. So highly recommend going and checking that out. But it's like those types of things come up and you're, you're now connecting a little more on a personal level and you're learning about someone that you wouldn't normally have learned in the, in the past. So I think that's really a great question. You'd mentioned on even like asking, like, tell me about explain promises. One of my favorite, not, not asking that. Um, (laughs) but even as a, as a bit of a technical, question but even more on the communication side that i'd be looking for is you know tell me about a something that you've a technical problem that you've currently or recently run into it can be really anything it could be like a side project it could be something in their current day-to-day work it doesn't really matter it's not really about what the problem was it's like how do they explain that to me because i think that's another important aspect maybe that fits a little bit in technical but it's really in the culture aspect is you're working with other engineers and we do run into problems all the time and you might have to be working on something together to debug and it's like how do you explain to someone like all the things that you've tried what's going on and i think that can tell a lot right in that question and you can see how someone thinks through the problem and articulates it one thing i just want to kind of touch on because we're talking a lot about how people think and how they communicate I think we take for granted that English is our native language because I work with a lot of international candidates and I get a lot of messages from two different kinds of people. One, there's English as a second language candidates and they're very anxious about it. And the second aren't people who actually have typing or speech disabilities who are very concerned about presenting themselves well. And I would, I wish I could say that these things shouldn't, like they don't matter in technical interview but the reality of it is people have unconscious biases and how do we work through that so i think it's easy for us to sit here and say oh yeah like we should talk about communicate or like that should be more relevant and i agree but also like we need to be patient with our candidates who are maybe so anxiety ridden because they have to speak in their second language like if i had to do a technical interview in german i would shit myself like for lack of a better term like i don't know what i would do 
So yeah, that's another aspect. Thank you for calling out <laughs> that out. That is very, very important. You know, I, I'm the one who said it, but I'm like, yeah, I think it's, it's important to be aware of that. And also this is why you don't evaluate a candidate solely on one aspect because yeah, someone may be at a disadvantage already. Like, yes, we're all native English speaking, but yeah, if, I had to go speak in French, which I probably should know French better. I would do a terrible, terrible job at it. And I wouldn't even be able to get past first phone screen if that was the case. So I think we've highlighted a few things as we've been talking, but I'd really love to hear some more thoughts on from each of you is like, what are some things that companies can do to improve the interview process? And maybe it's even if you're the one being an interviewer to a candidate. Holy crap, this makes me so passionate because the biggest thing is have diverse interviewers for the love of all that is holy. Because let me tell you what, in the five years I've been interviewing, I've been interviewed exactly once by a woman and it was at Spotify. And that to me is sad. Uh, Not only that, I've been interviewed by very few people of color which also makes me angry. Uh, and it makes if it makes me angry, I cannot imagine how it makes other people who are underrepresented feel. Um, so please have diverse interviewers. I remember when I was at IBM, I tried so hard to get on the interview panels to give interviews and people kept saying, okay, sure, we'll book you in time slots. And then they never did. And I had to fight my way into it. Um, you know, and it's just, it's really... If you have the same cookie cutter kind of person interviewing your candidates at every phase in the process, like that's just, uh, it doesn't work. It's it's wrong on so many levels that I like can't even begin to explain. <laughs> Guess what? If you want a diverse team, which we've said many times, even on this podcast, there's many great articles, videos, everything about why having a diverse team is so important, especially when you're building products. So we don't even need to get into that. But If you want a diverse team, if you have the same types of people interviewing, you know, we all have bias. So guess what? Now you're just like leaning towards that same candidate or the person who ends up getting hired. I think it's amazing. Anytime I can have a diverse panel on an interview that we're hiring for, it's so important because you're getting aspects that like I wouldn't have even caught Emma, Stacey, Ryan, you might catch something that like, I'm like, oh. I didn't even notice that or it it just ends up helping get the more rounded interview out of it as well and better for the candidate too that's saying like yeah we do actually have diverse people here like I would evaluate a company interviewing me if I just see a bunch of male engineers interview me like are there any female engineers it's probably going to be a question I ask yeah there's some really interesting stuff that comes out through those interviews as well like if you have uh like uh, let's say a, a, a woman and a man in the interview and the interviewee only ever answers and looks at the man in the interview. It's sort of, there's an interesting thing there that's like kind of probably unconscious, but it, it it's telling. It's like, oh, you know, is that person respectful of people that are different? And, you know, um, that there's little subtle signs there that can really help you hire better as well if you have a diverse panel. Yeah, and the other thing is, like, I, I heard this a long time ago. Like, one of the benefits of having uh, a diverse workforce, not only does it spark innovation, but also your customers are potentially coming from all over the world. Your customers don't necessarily look and think like you do. And when you have a diverse, um, like, culture in your workplace, people empathize with people who come from similar background or look similar to them, like, um, just unconsciously. And so if you have a diverse workforce, you're, you're better able to understand your clients as well. Like there are so many reasons. Uh, and I know this is not a diversity episode, uh, so I don't want to just monopolize it. But I did think that that was a very important note because it makes me so angry, you know, like all these big companies who say that they are promoters of diversity and inclusion, yet really because like based on my experiences with you and I've been in plenty of uncomfortable situations where I was made to feel very unintelligent. Um, and I do think that was a result of unconscious bias. Like, like put your money where your mouth is. Right. (laughs) I I can't imagine how it feels too as being the only on a team when you're the only woman or the only person of color. That's, 
tough. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, you know, you, you want to have diverse teams to make people feel more comfortable and be able to do great at their job, like take that anxiety off their plate. I love that we went into it because I think this is an aspect that's so important into in interviewing in general. Yeah, I had a candidate uh, recently that was like, you're the first woman I've ever interviewed with doing technical interviews. And I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. I don't know. As, as someone, like as a woman who wanted to give technical interviews, it was like, and I wasn't essentially allowed to, like it was all these false promises. It's like, okay, well, we'll put you on the schedule. And then they never did. This happened at two companies. Um, I don't know if it's just because they don't have women at the company or if it's just that they're not giving them the opportunity to interview. But yeah, something needs to change there. <laughs> I was going to say maybe another good piece of advice for companies, but I know that it's hard, I'm, probably for legal reasons, but to give good feedback to the candidate. Like you spend all this time, um, many, many hours, perhaps even over many days. And and then if you just get like a no and no feedback, it's so demoralizing. And I'm I'm sure there's tricky parts with like legal things, but oh gosh, I would like feedback. Some, I don't know if it's a company thing or if it's a cultural thing. Like some countries have different employment laws. Um, Every time I've asked for feedback, Nine times out of 10, I'll get some, Um, whether that's proactively the recruiter giving me feedback or me asking. I've generally always received feedback. And the thing is, if we don't give feedback to our candidates when we can and we're legally allowed to, um, we're not helping our industry at all. We're not helping anyone improve. Like we need to help foster our own community so that when they come back to us in a year, they can just hit the ground running and start contributing immediately. Plus one, plus a thousand on feedback. I think it's so important. I I sometimes, yes, you're right to the point that some countries have different laws around this. Sometimes I also think it's an excuse. I I, I do think that sometimes companies are leaning on it too heavily to say it's an excuse to not give that. Uh, When you think about giving some feedback, especially on a technical aspect where someone is just missing some of that technical depth and you're able to give them some insights into areas that you were evaluating that just didn't really shine for that person. That's our huge learning moment for them. They've taken their time to to do that interview and they're going to walk away with that experience so much better, hopefully improving because of it too. Uh, so I think it, it's really important. And Emma, I love that you said, ask for the feedback. I'm usually very open and offering up the feedback it when say if i'm hiring someone for my team and i'm closing out meaning that i've I've decided that they're not the right fit at this time for the role that i'm hiring for i'll usually give feedback like i try and just offer it up but sometimes i might ask would you like the feedback because sometimes people don't want to hear it Mm -hmm. which is fair too and so sometimes I might give a little and be like oh would you like me to go into a little more depth because I also don't want to just unload on them either it's like here's all the things and so I, I think it's a balance but I think so if you want the feedback straight up ask typically companies will give it to you I think it's important to ask your candidates for feedback too because I've had yeah. uh so Google was really good about this they had like I think automated surveys that were sent, but my recruiter also asked for feedback. And the second time I interviewed with them, because there was a second and a third, the second time um, I I had a technical interview. It was about uh, binary trees or whatever. It was a uh, data structures interview. And I thought I was clarifying requirements. Now, okay, I was doing this in Munich. So there was also a cultural and a communication barrier to some extent. Um, but where I thought I was um, like clarifying the requirements which you should be doing in, in these questions the interviewer thought that I was asking for hints and so when she came back to me it was like oh like yeah this person said that you asked for a lot of hints I go oh because I was under the assumption I was just clarifying requirements so like you know that I, I did tell her I go that was a little frustrating for me to hear because um, you know I thought I was doing one thing and they interpret it as another so to be penalized unfairly this is the problem with having one interviewer too like if you get two interviewers um and they submit their responses separately um you're less likely to get someone who misinterprets something or just like to your point ryan like is just having a bad day so um yeah definitely ask your candidates for feedback when i interviewed at google and i feel like they were kind of notorious for having the whiteboarding interview they actually allowed me the cheers option to, oh shoot yeah uh, i have to open a new bottle um they <laughs> actually 
allowed me to either use a whiteboard so cheers again we're making up time here um or to use a chromebook and i thought that was really cool because i got to use both so i did all my pseudo code and write i wrote down all my functional requirements on the whiteboard which is oh shoot now i'm gonna say it all the time <laughs> cheers. and the more i drink the faster i talk to you <laughs> that's good um but i think writing down functional requirements are so important because if you if you start going in a direction without understanding the concept of the problem, um, that's uh, and this leads into like a piece of advice you would give someone. Uh, so first is clarify the question. And, and Ryan, you mentioned this earlier, but the questions are intentionally left with a few holes to see if you can deduce what information is missing. So by writing down these functional requirements of, OK, if I have to do let's create an infinite scrolling where essentially design Instagram, like how would you do this? OK, well, what's a functional requirement? Well, we never want the user to see the bottom, right? So maybe when there's 25 images, like maybe when we get like within 500 pixels of the bottom, we need to load more images. Maybe that's a functional requirement. And then you realize, okay, well, are these going to be uh, like the same size photo? Like just like little things, find the holes, um, write down the list and then start coding. Take the 10 minutes out of the 30 to, to do that. Uh, you also touched on another point a bit earlier too, that kind of stuck out for me as well. Like when people are giving feedback, like you mentioned a couple people being on a panel at the same time is really good because you're able to get two perspectives on the same interview. It's also very important that that the feedback is submitted separately, that oh. you try not talk with one another because you will absolutely bias each other. When I'm the hiring manager, I love having unbiased feedback because someone might catch something that the other didn't. But then if if they tell each other, then it, it really influences the other's feedback. And it's almost like you may as well just had one person. It defeats the purpose entirely. Yeah. I think as a, a candidate, another good thing, um, like I think maybe Emma, you mentioned it a little bit, but ask the clarifying questions for, let's say the coding interview, you do a take home, ask a lot of questions, be like, uh, what are you looking for? Or is there anything you'd like to see highlighted in the way that I answer this technical question or solve this problem? Because I had something one time where I spent a lot of time with the take home and I really over indexed on uh, accessibility and responsive. And I made the, you know, I really focused on that. And they were like, oh, we really wanted to see more about JavaScript performance. And I was like, oh, well, if I would have known that, I definitely would have, you know, spent more time on that and less time on the other things. And, you know, I should have asked that. But also for companies, you should, like, make sure you're really clear on, like, what you're really looking for in that answer. I like, Stacy that you led into a bit of what advice for candidates. I would love to hear, before we go into picks, what's one piece of advice that each of you would give someone preparing for a technical interview? Mm, my biggest one is not to cram information the night before. And I know that's hard because a lot of us are not job searching for fun. We're doing it because we're either laid off or we're in an unsafe work environment or some unforeseen uh, thing. But here's the, here's the way that we learn. Um, whether people realize it or not, we need sleep to process information and build synapses in our brain. And what happens when you cram information, um, the short-term payoff is very high. So you will remember these things the day after. Um, but every day subsequently, you're losing all of this information. It's actually better to take the two weeks to learn a little every day, get a good night's sleep, and your brain is building these connections. And it may feel a lot slower. Like you don't, you won't see your progress moves fast. You're going to get frustrated about it. But then you'll wake up on the 14th day and be like, oh my gosh, I remember all this. I understand it. And not just you've memorized it, but you've you've actually understood the concepts. That's another thing is I see so many candidates, myself included, because I did this. I memorized solutions. I didn't understand why they were the most performant. And I wasn't reading anyone else's solutions. So like, I'd be like, oh yeah, I passed this on Hacker Rank, move on to the next level. Well, how about you take the second and go read other solutions, not just memorize them, but conceptually, why? Why are they better? What are the trade-offs? Um, so yeah, it's a combination of like, do it over a long period of time and make sure you're sleeping well um, and read other solutions and understand why they're better or worse than yours. The advice I like to give is remember that you're interviewing them as well. You want to make sure that you're a good fit at this company. And that kind of gives you a little bit of power. It helps you feel not so helpless going into the interview, but it's also extremely important. You know, you want to make sure that you're a good fit at that company and you want to work for that company. So 
just make sure you're 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 evaluating them as well as them evaluating you. Yeah, I guess don't be afraid to ask questions as a candidate. You know, if they give you or if they say, "Hey, we're going to do a technical phone screen." And that's all they say. You can just ask, "Oh, what kind of thing are you looking for in that in that technical phone screen or what technologies are going to be used in it or how is it going to happen? Am I going to code in a Google Doc or am I going to, you know, what what's that going to look like?" And it helps you come into it more prepared, but just ask, ask, ask. It doesn't, it never hurts to ask those questions. Yeah. It's like the more you know about the logistics, the, the less you worry about the things that you can't control. And kind of bouncing off of that a little bit is just, don't be afraid to say you don't know. I would so much rather work with someone who's like, you know what? I'm not really sure. This is what I say. If I don't know the answer to something, it's a very direct question. I'll be like, I'm not sure. Here's my guess based on, you know, like everything I do know. This is what I would say, but I'm not sure. And that is so much better of an answer than trying to bullshit your way through it and pretending like you do know what you're saying when you don't. Yeah, because we don't know everything. As engineers, we don't know, have all the answers. You don't have, maybe you've just never worked with promises i'll bring that example up and like okay well like can you help me understand what a promise is and like maybe i can implement that i to me that shows that you can learn on the spot ask the right questions and also show humility too that you're like yeah i I don't know that then that's okay because we don't know we don't all have the answers and i think to build off the questions aspect another thing that i think is a really good piece of advice is ask the recruiter or maybe the hiring manager What's the process look like? What's the, you know, what should I expect from these interviews? Uh, Especially when you're going on site or for that like longer day interview, it's like, who will I be meeting with? What are some of the things that I can expect from each of those interviews? They'll tell you, uh, or they should, or hopefully, because we're not wanting to stump people. Uh, but I can, I think that can also help you mentally prepare like, okay, I'm going to have like two or three technical level interviews. And this is kind of some of the things that they're going to be talking about here. I'm going to meet with this person that's going to be talking about architectural design or meeting with a PM to think about really products. And anyways, just like you get a better sense of who you're meeting with and how to prepare for that interview. I think that's what distinguishes a good recruiter from a great recruiter is that the great one, you won't have to ask for this stuff that will tell you. And not only that, they'll cheer you on. Um, and it's just important to remember that your recruiter actually potentially might have a say in whether or not you're hired. They might be able to push for you and uh, advocate for you. So please treat them with respect and, and you know, write them a thank you email and um, attend their meetings on time. Um, but yeah, a great recruiter, and I've had many great recruiters, they will actively prepare you because they want you to succeed. That thank you email thing, I never, almost never get these. And I'm like, is that just old school and old fashioned that people send these, you know, and they always stand out when a candidate actually sends one. I was like, oh, that's so nice. Well, you have to send it through Carrier Pigeon or it's not, it's not <laughs> legitimate. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, just like a simple thank you email is so welcomed by the team. Um, and yeah, to your point, Stacey, like it's a, I don't know the right term. I'm losing my English, but it's like a, a dead gesture now. I don't know. That's how I'm going to phrase it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's, it's it was probably more common years ago, but as feels like not as common now. Yeah. I love what you said about treating recruiters with respect. I mean, Please treat everyone with respect. I will absolutely pass on someone. They could be the the best engineer ever. If they were treating their recruiting partner like shit, uh, I don't want them on my team. I think it like yeah. it it really the whole time. The minute you walk into the lobby, you might be checking in with a receptionist. You can learn a lot about someone just on how they interact with like those people. And that can, yeah, that can play out to not in your advantage. You should just treat everyone with respect. But yes, please treat your recruiters with respect. Let me tell you what, our our, um, receptionist in California, she was responsible for giving feedback to the executives on how the candidates treated her. And I tell you what, if they treated her like shit, they did not get an offer. Right. They shouldn't. I mean, how are you a team player? Yeah. Not only that, as, and this is a total tangent, but not, not only that, the recruiters, or the recruiters, um, yeah, recruiters, I guess, but also receptionists, potentially they could have been VPs back in their day. They could have been software engineers that, you know, just because they are sitting in the receptionist spot doesn't mean that they did not have a quote unquote distinguished career as you might see it. Um yeah, just be careful, you know. All right. Well, let's jump into picks. At the end of each episode, we like to share picks of things that we found interesting and would like to share with you all. 
Let's go around our virtual table and share picks for today's episode. Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. I've got uh, three picks today. Um, the first one is uh, a friend of mine, David, shared with me this uh, program called Magica Voxel. And it's a 8-bit voxel art editor. Um, and we're doing this little project where we're going to send each other a song and then we're going to create some 3D-ish like art, really like how that song inspires you. Um, and it's super fun. It's very, very, intu- I, it's, it's pretty intuitive as, in, in terms of uh, programs. So um, super fun. Check, check that out if you're, if you're bored in isolation <laughs> during this time. Uh, the second one is a song called uh, Leicestershire by Lambert. And uh, he's a Berlin-based neoclassical pianist. Um, really beautiful uh, pieces there. So those are, check that out. And the last one is a song called I Feel Better by Ghost Culture and Kiwi. Um, there's words in it, so I don't often pick songs with words, but it's a fun, bouncy, bouncy track. So check it out. Ryan, what do you have for us? Yeah, I had a really tough time getting picks this week because my life just doesn't change from day to day anymore. It's just the same thing over and over again. I'm not experiencing or discovering anything new. Um, but the two things I picked were first the uh, Pixel Buds 2. I suffered through the first iteration of Pixel Bugs and they were absolutely horrible. Um, and I've had these new ones for about a week now and I really like them. They don't fall off when I run. They work as advertised, they sound good. So that's my first pick. Um, and my second pick is, uh, Jem picked the show The Last Dance last week. Uh, this week I'm going to pick The Last Dance playlist on Spotify, uh, so someone or I think Spotify actually did this. They went and took a lot of the songs from the show and put them in a playlist. Uh, so if you like that 90s hip-hop R&B uh, stuff, this would be a great playlist for you. Right on. Emma, what do you have? Okay, I totally just pulled these out of my butt, but it's fine. Um, the first is an ebook by Stephanie Marillo. She just published The Developer's Guide to Book Publishing, so I highly recommend checking that out. She also has a second one called The Developer's Guide to Content Creation, so go support her. The second is a book, I, an audio book I just finished called Launch by Jeff Walker, and it talks about how you can literally launch any product online. This is, has an e-commerce theme, uh, but it's fine because the third shout-out that I have, or the third pick I have, is not related to e-commerce, and that is Bus Simulator, which I just bought for my ps4 and let me tell you i'm a terrible driver um but it's fine and i will get better it's really great you basically just drive around you own a bus company mine's called dunder mifflin and um you just (laughs) try to stay in the lines and be on time that's amazing so (laughs) is that going to be a new career at some point you're you're going to be like all right i'm going to be a bus driver now you're going to see a very sharp decline in my content creation for the next six months because i will become the world's best bus simulator driver (laughs) That's amazing. I love it. All right. To follow with our interview podcast episode, I'm going to actually suggest everyone go check out Emma's book, uh, Decoding the Technical Interview Process. There's a lot of great tips in there and you go on a lot more depth than we have today on this episode. So highly recommend that. And then as we've all found us having to be remote and, and working from home, I thought I'd share an interesting site that's dedicated to, well, it's called the Nomad List. It's dedicated to finding you can live and work anywhere in the world. It doesn't work exactly right now because we're not able to travel, but as travel restrictions come off and you know things get a little bit more back to normal i think a lot more companies are going to be allowing people to be remote so i thought this was a great suggestion for people if they're wanting to travel the world and continue to work uh, the site gives you ideas of where to live and suggestions there's there's a lot of great information on it so that's uh nomad list uh website i think it's it's just nomadlist.com All right. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Emma for joining us. It was awesome having you and thank you for sharing a lot of really good wisdom. Where can people get in touch with you? I am decently active on Twitter. You can just find me at Emma Boston. Um, I do try to respond to every single DM, but I get a lot of them. So just please be patient. But yeah, absolutely. Feel free to DM me over there. Right on. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us at frontendhappyhour.com. You can subscribe to us on whatever podcast application you like to listen to podcasts on. You can follow us on Twitter at frontendhh. Any last words? Don't make people code on whiteboards.
Ah! Cheers. <laughs> Cheers.